Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and today we're finishing off Revelation 16 and diving into Revelation 17. Had to go back to 16 because we needed to hear about the seventh bowl and the preparations that would be made for chapter 17 and 18 to come to pass, and God's the one who's making the preparations. And so we'll get into this seventh bowl and we'll take a look at what destructions it shall bring and the frightening words that are spoken it is done as we see here in verse number 17 of revelation chapter 16 the statement is made at the very end it is done now this is in contrast to the statement that is made by jesus himself there in chapter number 10 when he says it is finished and time shall be no more. Uh, Wow. And also we must keep this in contrast with Jesus' words on the cross. It is finished. Uh, The difference between it is finished and it is done. Finished refers to a completed work that is prepared for all things to to become new. Done is the... finality of the work in that it is over and it's time for a new beginning and now we have reached the point in the tribulation where god is done with this thing where it's going to be over and the kingdom is going to shift really exciting stuff that's going to be coming up here so hold on tight The scripture goes forward to be read, verse number 17, down to the end of the chapter. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Now, the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Then every island fled away, and the mountains were not found, and great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. Well, we'll get into that in a second. I thought it was so exciting about the the different people. So when Jesus completes the work that he has given, he says it is finished, because in, in Jesus all things are made complete. All of mankind, which is why Jesus came to this earth as the sacrificed Lamb of God, so all of mankind finds himself incomplete as a number six. But as man discovers Jesus and chooses to receive him as his Savior, as God draws him to Jesus through the Word of God, is what all the scriptures that we've talked about before are tied together there, that we discover that that Jesus not only will save them, but he will complete them. In fact, he, he as the number seven, makes up the difference for where we have fallen, and, and he literally makes us a complete person with the Holy Spirit living inside of us and reuniting us back together with God our Father. 
But then we all long for that day. We long for that day that we have in that great getting up morning we sing about where we are in that throne room of God with the saints because in that day we reach the number eight. We've got a brand new beginning, a brand new home, a brand new everything. Everything becomes new. Just like the Apostle Paul said, old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And so with that, we we look at this point. Jesus said it is finished, but there is the voice that, that calls out from the temple of heaven, from the throne. Now, there's one guy sitting on that throne there's one not guy but god sitting on that throne and his name is yehovah and and he is there speaking and with our father who art in heaven when he moves then the thing is done god said let there be light boom it was done god said let the let the skies divide the skies above and the skies below boom it was done god said bring the dirt bring the earth up out of the oceans boom it was done sun moon stars everything about the creation week as god spoke it it was done and it was done in its perfection it was complete And so we see that there is one more moment that God will speak and say, it is done. And it is in this point that that it is made, uh, God spoke. And literally, it's done. There's no way to reverse the thought of God. There's no way to change the direction of God. Save one, and that's Jesus and God's wrath be applied to us all, just like we see applied to the world in this day. And God's wrath will not be held back for for long. God's wrath will pour out upon man. The only hope that we have, the only hope that the martyred saints had, that the 144,000 had, that the church had, that Israel had, the only hope that we have is Messiah, is Jesus And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as did not occur since men were on the earth. God's God's literally going to position the earth for the finality of his wrath. He's literally going to be breaking stuff up. He's going to be shifting things around. He's going to be lowering things, raising things. But there's some important understandings. When you're dealing with an earthquake of this magnitude, and this is very important, what you see a little bit further down is that every island fled away and the mountains were not found. What you'll see is with with this great earthquake, such an earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth, then you're going to have some subsequent events that take place besides that earthquake things such as tsunamis large huge waves that 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 can generate over a hundred feet high coming into a shore that just literally swallows entire communities like like the the tsunami that struck i think it was back in 
2008, 2009, somewhere in there, there's a huge tsunami that that struck Myanmar and and, and the whole coastline. I think it destroyed like 30,000 lives with their homes and everything. That tsunami just went right into that, that country and literally just swallowed the coast. And that's exactly what we're going to find is, is a side event to this massive earthquake because we have to keep in mind that this these are events that are taking place that man has never seen before. And the purpose behind e even the writing that would say such as has never been seen since men were on the earth. Nothing had been recorded that had been this powerful and so this earthquake is going to generate a lot of other activity besides you're going to start you're going to have some volcanoes that are going to break loose and 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 burst you're going to have like i said tsunamis you're going to have some powerful a uh, global weather based events because this these earthquakes they're literally going to shift and change the balance of the whole earth i mean literally you'll have a wobble that takes place on the, on the on the earth in its orbit even with such a mighty earthquake <coughs> as being de described here and he says a great city which is that city that's called babylon it's very important to understand that the that the word babylon is is in reference to not just one particular city but in reference to those groups of people which would be recognized as city or as nations these groups of people that would stand in adamant rebellion against god the very first mention of babylon would be found all the way back in genesis chapter number 10 when you're dealing with uh, nimrod you're dealing with cush and semiramis's mother you're dealing with this rebellion that would ultimately build this tower that would try to reach up to god and that God would confuse the languages in Revelation chapter number 11. Well, you've, you've got that Babylon. And then the spirit of Babylon had carried through all of these different nations like Assyria and, and like Persia and Greece and Rome. This concept of global domination, this concept of, of being your own God. And this idea of Babylon is carried all the way through even to the nation again of Babylon that would rise up under Nebuchadnezzar. And so we see that there are many different references to, the, to a people, to a city or a nation of people called Babylon up unto this final day, this, this last tribulation period. And this great Babylon is remembered before God. And that is an exciting point is because you remember the martyred saints crying out, when are you going to avenge our blood? You, you know that, that multitudes of people, even in our modern day, are being martyred for their faith over in the Middle East and in Asia. You know that there, there are so many struggles that are going on as being the children of God, the challenges that we face, even, even as close to us as... as where I'm living about three hours north into Canada and the, and, and the challenges against the church that, that rest in Canada and the, and, and the ways that they, they just, the persecutions that are faced, the pastors that are being put in jail just for, for speaking the truth of Scripture and, and, and not having that freedom. In fact, we face it here in the United States. The same things happen in local counties and different places like California 
where it's certainly a, a challenge to be a biblical Christian anymore nowadays. And so we find that, that this great Babylon was remembered before God. In other words, it's not that God hasn't forgotten. We just have to keep in mind that God is very patient. In fact, God's patience well exceeds the patience of man. There's no question about it. And, and God, is, the scripture tells us, he's long-suffering toward us. He's very patient with mankind because he's not willing that anyone should die and, and, and at that point of death perish and be separated from God for an eternity in the suffering of their sins. He's not willing that any should perish. His desire is that people would wake up, that, that people would see their need for Jesus, that they would turn from their wicked ways and live. He, he, he wants people to, to trust him. He wants people to, to come to him, to cry out to him unto salvation because his great desire is to save you. That's what he wants to do. This isn't a God that's hoping to condemn you. This is a God that's desiring to save you and, and literally frustrated with tears upon his face when you choose not to receive him but continue to actively rebel against him. And so we see that, that the scripture tells us that great Babylon was remembered before God and as he promised those martyred saints, and as his he his wrath reached the same place that it reached in Genesis chapter number six. Remember in Genesis chapter number six, where the people were were so rebellious before God that it literally says in the scriptures that it broke God's heart and re, and he repented of the fact that he had even made man in the first place, and so in that position that that he has become frustrated before by this this people that are just an absolute rebellion and you say well pastor come on you can't keep saying that these people all were an absolute rebellion um yeah so in verse number 21 it said men blasphemed god because of the plague since that plague was great they blasphemed god now yesterday we we saw at the the end uh we've seen that they blasphemed god in chapter 16 and chapter 15 at the end of that scripture it said they blasphemed god in chapter 14 at the end of that scripture they blasphemed god uh, there's so many places throughout this this particular revelation where you're finding that men have just just been lewd. They just blaspheme God. They cuss His name because these things are happening to them, which means that they recognize the authority of those things that are happening as being in the hand of God, and they recognize the the power of those things applied to them and the difficulty that they're facing but they still won't turn to him they still won't surrender to god they remain in their rebellion and so the scripture goes down and it says now the great city was divided into three parts and the cities of the nations fell and great babylon was remembered before god to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath and divided into city and and the cities fell. So the land mass was broken into three different 
parts. Now, that's pretty exciting because where is Babylon stationed? Well, if you look at modern-day Jerusalem, uh, the, the, the Jerusalem that's being fought over, I should say it that way, the original Temple Mount, and I believe this will be one of the centers where the Antichrist will set up his shop. Uh, I believe that he'll have one for, for Jerusalem and one for uh, somewhere in this North American area uh, to the Central American area. And the reason why I believe that is because of Gog and Magog. Remember that we have ten kingdoms on seven continents with ten kings. Then we have a little horn, as remembered in Daniel chapter number 7, that rises up and overthrows three of the kings, thereby establishing his power on his throne as the principal leader. And that horn, that little horn, being the Antichrist, has got to establish himself at a place where he can be both in the eastern side of the kingdoms of Gog and the western side of the kingdoms of Magog, five kingdoms to the east, five kingdoms to the west. And so as it's all divided and the kings are established, the principal leaders are established under the Antichrist who rises up, then we see that that he has to have a means of positive control over the whole world, even from one place. Well, in, in Jerusalem, which being lifted up by the false prophet as being the Messiah of, of God at that point, as he is known as the Antichrist or the false, false Christ, so that we see that Jerusalem would be the place to be after, of course, he constructs the temple of God and establish himself upon the throne in the temple of God as, as the principal world leader, as the principal world God. And so it's very important to realize that if this be the case about Jerusalem, that the city itself is divided between three valleys. And so that God creates and, you know, brings this earthquake. And of course, we understand that there are several fault lines that actually exist in the Middle East and regularly over in the Middle East. There are tremors that are happening. There's quite active fault lines that exist over there that God literally can can break his his city that is called by his name as Jerusalem. He can literally break that city in half. And it is recognition of the of the way in which the people have blasphemed God and have have re- disregarded his name so that the city that is that is literally built upon the name of God as they have broken their covenant with God. He breaks their city into three different pieces. It's just a thought, but it's pretty interesting to consider that this be Jerusalem, that it be divided by the valleys through the earthquakes, and that they be broken to pieces in recognition of the same thing that that happened when the people were dancing around the golden calf when Moses came down the hill and he broke the tablets of stone as as in violation of God's law he he showed them that they literally broke his law <laughs> and praise God that he gave him another set of laws for him to carry back down because in that man has broken God's law, it doesn't break anything, it stands secure. So this city gets destroyed and it gets broken into pieces, but then New Jerusalem descends from out of heaven to reveal that God's city is secure. 
And what is on this earth is only a copy of that which exists in heaven because God's the things of God, or I was about to say God's things, but the things of God shall always be secure with him in the position of heaven. And so as he breaks the city into three parts, in the cities of the nations fall, great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath, and we're about to see that. Every island disappeared, fled away, it says, disappeared. I think it's because, just personal thought here, but I think it's because the tsunamis from that earthquake literally just completely cover the islands. Because this is an earthquake of a magnitude that's never been experienced by the world before. And, and then he says, great hailstones. Now, this is exciting because these hailstones, I've looked at several different translations of Scripture, and such as the English Standard Version and the Christian Standard Bible. We see that those two particular translations say about 100 pounds. Guys, think about hail. And, and here in North Dakota, if we get a storm, oftentimes we, that storm is marked by hail. So we're, we're pretty familiar with hail up here. And most, most vehicles you'll see up here are pitted. <laughs> That's because there's just nowhere to hide your car at work from the hail storms. And sometimes they could come down, they could be as big as a golf ball that, that we've seen before. And sometimes they I've heard that they could be the size of softballs even out here. And so there, there is some serious hail uh, storms that can come through these Dakotas up here. But, but this is dealing with something that is 100 pounds. Uh, and one translation that I really enjoy using is called the, the Jewish, the complete Jewish Bible. And it specifically said 70 pounds. So you're looking at between 70 and 100 pounds for this hail that is coming from heaven, falling upon men. And you can understand how many people are going to die just from concussive situations to their heads. If you're outside running around and one of these 100-pound stones just collides with your head, you're, you're gone. You're dead. Guys, I mean... Just lay down on a gym floor and let somebody drop a 45-pound weight for the bar on your face. I mean, it's it, it's silly enough to say that. You would think about that, but a 100-pound hailstone will crush your head from that distance of falling. I mean, good day. And, and this, this hail just fell upon men. I mean, if you're, if you're in your car, you know, a hundred pound hail stone is going to cave in your, your, your hood. It's, it's gonna, you're, that's gonna devastate. It's gonna bust right through the windshield. I mean, there's, there's just nothing is gonna be able to stop this. It's, it's literally going to be little missiles from God because as they fall, the cities, the, the skyscrapers, I mean, every window that this hits is going to be busted out. They, it, uh, the devastation can't even be justly spoken of, I don't think. As we're talking about close to 100 pounds stones each, and we're talking about a hail storm, that's millions of stones coming from from heaven just colliding upon earth just 
everywhere. The devastation of this is, is, I don't even know how to describe it. I think for, for once, I don't have an adequate means to be able to describe this. And, and I believe that that is adequate in itself for the magnitude of the devastation that this is going to be. And thus, chapter number 17. Now, now understand, that at the end of chapter number 16, we see the conclusion or we see the overview of the devastations that would take place that would be revealed in chapter 17 and 18. Now, in chapter number 17, we see that this is dealing with the destruction of the religion. Babylon is as much a, a religious state as it is a secular political state. And so we see that with the religion and, and the political gathered together as being like it was in England in the 1500s, like it was in France, like it was in Europe entirely, that when one of these ends is destroyed, the other end is ultimately destroyed and it's going to fall. Well, we're going to see the destruction of the religious portion. And at that, the destruction of the religious side of the house is because the political leader exposes the false prophet the antichrist is going to expose the false prophet to keep his to keep the false prophet from being able to rise to a greater strength of power than the the antichrist well by the way this happened once before this isn't new just like solomon said there's nothing new under the sun this, this war between that breaks out between the religious leader of the false prophet of this one world kingdom and the antichrist the political leader of this kingdom took place back in in 300 and between 320 and 337 AD with emperor constantine in rome as the very first pope i i try to remember his name usually i get it wrong but i'm pretty sure it's clemens as Pope Clements rose to authority in the in the Western Kingdom, there as he had his place solidified in Rome, and the Emperor of Rome, Constantine, at that point of time was was establishing a secondary location for his leadership over in in Constantinople is what it would be called, but today it would be modern Turkey or where Istanbul is today he was establishing his throne in that particular region so that he had a power over the west as well as the east imagine this playing out in our modern society to a small scale like what you see here in revelation and that the the pope had decided to excommunicate or kick the the emperor of rome out thereby effectively separating him from his own kingdom as the people believed that the pope had the authority as the religious center for the whole kingdom to rule actually above and beyond the, the king himself. And so with Clements coming to this authority and power, he excommunicated Constantine, which caused a, ri caused a rise in it, and literally had a war uh, between the East and the West, but it's also where your Greek Orthodox 
church rises, or the Orthodox Church, you have Russian Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, Angolan Orthodox, there's a lot of those guys that rise from the East, uh, and and there is that battle or that war that comes back against the, the Pope at that time of Rome. And so it's really exciting to see that that what is being referred to in in chapter 16 and chapter 17 is is actually something that isn't new that it has happened it's just going to to happen on a much larger scale with this time of revelation. So in Revelation chapter number 17 we're going to start off in verse number 1 and we're going to read down to verse number 18 as a preparation for what may be Friday. And the scripture goes forward to say, uh, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of the names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her head, of, uh, on her forehead, a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. But the angel said to me, Why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of the life of the Lamb from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Here's the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth, and is of the seven, and is going to perdition. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as of yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them, for he is lord of lords and king of kings. And those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Then he said to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. 
For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind, and to give their kingdom to the beasts, until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Now you're going to understand why the ten horns which we see hate the harlot. Well, the harlot, as referred to, and the woman that is seen is the that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Now, just by way of referencing the idea that we're trying to build here, is there any particular city that, that would have a, a purely religious purpose that literally has ruled over governments in the past, maybe not necessarily as much today, but they have ruled over kingdoms in the past and they still call some shots under the under the the cover today. And the answer would be yes, that would be the Roman Church, or recognized as the Vatican, which is a city. Not only is it a city, the Vatican City, but it is also a nation unto itself that actually has ambassadors. And so that the Pope, though he be the the highest religious figure of the Roman Catholic Church, would also be recognized as a political figure that, that literally governs a, a, a people in, in the Vatican. And so it's very important to realize that the, the same exact scenario that's being played out here is, is being recognized in that you have this secular kingdom with these ten horns, these ten kings. Now, each one of them is going to have the, a, a period of time for their rulership, and of course we understand that there are three that are going to be knocked down for the secular leader that, by the way, knocked down. There are three that will voluntarily surrender their power to this world leader, recognize the Antichrist as he rises to his position of strength. But these kings are going to be at war with this religious leader, this false prophet, because they're going to discover within their regions that their power is limited by this false prophet who stands above them only equal to, or a little bit less than, as we discover, the Antichrist. And so these kings of the earth are going to despise the very nature of the religion that is established over the people's hearts because in that it be a cult-type religion, that it will actually have a, a much greater power over the minds of the citizens than the authorities of the kings will possess, and that will create that friction that causes them to to desire her death. Well, that woman that you see is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Understand that it's that, that great city like what is re referred to today as the Vatican that, that reigns over the kings of the earth in the secular world even today and that reigns over the religious kingdoms of the earth without question. Uh, there's a great deal of, of controversy that always has been in my lifetime and always has been in the lifetimes of many before me and that will be in those after me, as you see here in Revelation, of the authority and power over that which be religious between that which would be political. 
And the interesting point of that is that we are a religious creature. We, we are religious to our core. And so if we are not worshiping God, we're worshiping evolution. If we're not worshiping God or evolution, we're worshiping politics. We're worshiping sports. We're worshiping uh, hunting and fishing and, and recreation and playing. We're, we're, we are a religious people and we worship something or someone, uh, some particular political figure, some particular uh, uh, religious figure. We, we worship, that's what we do. We're created at the very core of our nature to worship. And as much as we would hate the idea of that, and as much as we would deny that and say that it wasn't true, in the next breath, we will find ourselves within our heart praising or wishing we could do or see or be with someone. And we worship. We worship. So this is really exciting uh, when we consider this. So we back up to the very first because it's important to, to grasp a hold of this young lady here, which, by the way, is a city. So that we remember always as we go through this, in verse number 18, it says, The woman whom you saw is that great city. So, backing up, it says, One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Now, as, as he'd already defined that the waters were the peoples, the nations, and the the tongues and so understand that the harlot or that woman which is that great city is is a power of religion over the hearts of this world and and that is very clear by the way that is led by the false prophet so he says i will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. And ultimately we find that, that is a reference to not some particular drink that they're going to drink, but that the way in which their worship inebriates their, their mind, their heart into being manipulated to be able to do whatever it is that, that this particular harlot wants them to do as, as to bring them into chanting, as to bring them into meditations, as to bring them into a lot of different means by which he can literally manipulate the heart of this people through their worship to, to be drawn to a, a position where they're even going to kill their neighbors. And if you don't think that that's, that's accurate or you don't think that that's true, it happened all through the, the 15th to the 18th century. So many uh, true believers in Jesus were being turned over by their children by, uh, from the Catholic faith because of, of the confession booth and because of the, the rituals and the rites uh, that would be administered through each service every week. That people are inebriated into believing, uh, believing a lie, and they would they would surrender their family members to be killed because they didn't show up at church. And the inquisitions would go forward, and so it's it's very important to understand that that it is easy for them to be made drunk with the wine of her fornication because it is it is the the wine of worship that people are natural to whether they want to believe it or not. In fact, those who refuse to believe it are the easiest ones to, to sucker. 
Yeah, they will be. And so, you know what, we'll pick up with this more so tomorrow. So we'll finish off chapter number 17 tomorrow. We'll enter into chapter number 18 uh, because I'm running out of time and because I really want you to, to have some time to feast upon this. But I hope that the things that were revealed today are something that you can take to the bank, so to speak, that you can look back and read over and say, wow, I never saw that before. And that... Um, that would be worth it all right there. All right, guys. Well, God bless you, keep you, and cause his face to shine upon you. And we'll catch you tomorrow for the, the completion of chapter 17, certainly. So, till then, God bless and take care.